Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting to over 60 countries around the world from Hollywood Boulevard in the middle of the third most important centre of the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs, incubators, Silicon Beach in Los Angeles, California. Just in case you're interested in what's number one and number two, number one, of course, is Silicon Valley and number two is Tel Aviv. But here in Los Angeles, this is where technology and entertainment intersect. And I want to thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really appreciate it. Now, this week, a lot of people have been following the Apple conference, and something caught my attention just literally five minutes ago, which really applies to me. iOS 10, the new version of iPhone's operating system, will enable your phone to automatically remember where you parked your car and it'll show the car's location on Apple Maps. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, users can, um, it'll drop a pin on the map when you park and users can then get directions back to the parked car pin and the location automatically shows up on the Apple notification screen or new widget screen. I think that is great news. Many a time I've spent half the afternoon walking around (laughs) parking lots looking for my car. Once I actually reported it stolen and uh, the police came to the house the next day and said, we found your car. And I said, where did you find it? And they said, right where you parked it. So I'm not good at finding cars in parking lots. Now, Microsoft's made its most ambitious move in donkey's years to uh, reassert itself in the technology market that it once dominated. As you probably know, Microsoft's acquiring LinkedIn for $26 billion, and the acquisition's the largest in Microsoft history, and it unites two companies that are in really in different businesses. Microsoft's a big maker of software tools, while LinkedIn is the largest business-oriented social networking site with more than 400 members globally. And the deal confirms that traditional software businesses shifting quickly to cloud computing, where customers rent software and other services, which are delivered over the internet. LinkedIn is the most widely used site for people to advertise their professional skills and, of course, their work history. I use LinkedIn all the time to contact people, find out what people have got, uh, what positions in specific companies, and it's a humongous help. Um, Microsoft's been upstaged, of course, over the last few years by Apple and Google, and it actually trails both companies in the total value of its publicly traded shares. Both Microsoft and LinkedIn make most of their money by catering to professionals, and that's really the common thread between the two businesses. 
So the deal brings together the professional cloud and professional network. Of course, Microsoft's got a bit of a bargain. It's paying a hell of a lot less for uh, LinkedIn than they would have just six months ago when LinkedIn was around 260 bucks a share. And then disappointing earnings help slash the value of the company. And Microsoft is paying $196 a share, which is still a healthy premium to $131. Its shares closed at just last Friday. Now, LinkedIn lost money last year, and they found that it is very expensive to keep growing, you know, to, to enable, build that business. So it's possible that today they may be as valuable as they ever will be. And the big challenge ahead is competing with powerhouses like Amazon, which is the leader in cloud computing, and they've got a hell of a head start but LinkedIn could help Microsoft accelerate its shift to the internet by giving it a large online property that has become the de facto standard for posting resumes online. You know, the site's really heavily used by recruiters for finding new workers, and Microsoft happens to be one of their biggest customers. Microsoft offers um, an online sales tool called Dynamics CRM, that could scour LinkedIn profiles to help companies draft smarter sales pitches. Data from LinkedIn profiles, of course, could be funneled automatically into Outlook and Skype and other applications so that someone could learn more about a person with whom they're about to have an online meeting. The uh, mission statements of LinkedIn and Microsoft have different words, but they're more or less the same. LinkedIn built a professional network. Microsoft built a professional cloud. And LinkedIn will continue to operate as an independent brand. We've all sat back and watched over the last couple of years as uh, to, at the success generated by Google's purchase of YouTube and Facebook's purchase of WhatsApp. So one would have to assume that the future for Microsoft LinkedIn looks extremely bright. I keep looking out for um, new technologies and new advancements. And last week, I saw a revolutionary new treatment for burns called the skin gun. The skin gun sprays skin stem cells on a burn or in chronic wound to promote rapid healing the healing's actually so rapid that you can walk into a hospital with a second degree burn on friday and return on monday largely healed now that's absolutely miraculous and the skin gun process uses a patient's stem cells which are collected from the healthy skin they're suspended in a water solution that makes them easy to spray with exact precision so the treatment's just incredibly simple. You just spray the stem cells on the burned skin and wait for them to regrow. It's also extremely fast, taking only one and a half hours to isolate the cells and spray the skin. Once the skin cells are applied, it only takes a day or at the most a few for the treatment to be effective. When State Trooper Matthew Aram 
was badly burned in a bonfire accident. He received the, he received the skin gun treatment and was entirely healed from his second-degree burns in just four days. So the skin gun, this offers a huge improvement over the um, in-lab skin growth and surgical grafting that takes weeks and sometimes even months to be effective. And those who undergo these um, conventional skin grafts often suffer from infections and other setbacks, rendering the treatment far from optimal. The skin gun promotes complete healing in a matter of days and represents a clear advance for medic medicine. Recent experiments show that the gun can spray more than 20,000 evenly distributed droplets in a test area compared to the conventional needle and sh syringe, which produces only 91. So it's 20,000 as against 91. So the gun's not only capable of even dispersal, but it's also gentle on the skin stem cells, which retain 97.3% viability after skin gun spraying. Wow, what an incredible step forward for the medical profession that is. Now in this era, where hacking is rife, this might sound ridiculous, but you should wrap your keys in aluminium foil if you don't want to be hacked. Why? Because your car's always listening. Now, it's not listening for your voice, like Amazon Echo or Siri, but for an electronic signal, such as the coded unlock signal from your electronic fob key. If it's a newer car model like mine, you might not have to press any buttons. Just approach your car, the doors will unlock automatically, and in some cars, the engine will even turn on. Now, wirelessly unlocking your car is very convenient, but it comes at a price, because criminals can easily intercept the key fob signal and open your car without setting off any alarms. If you have a true keyless car model, they can probably just drive it away. So, how can you keep your car safe? Firstly, let's look at how your car's security works. As you've probably noticed, you can't just open your car door with any old radio signal. You need your specific key fob to do the job. And there's a reason. The key fob uses a computer chip to generate a unique code that it sends to your car's security system. The car also has a chip that uses the same algorithm to generate codes. If the codes match up, the car opens. There's a bit more to it, but that's essentially the basics. So the way that uh, criminals attack is since each key fob car security pair is unique and each one can create billions of codes, hackers couldn't stand a chance. But it turns out that a popular system from 
Megamos Crypto isn't as secure as everybody thought. Now, researchers in the Netherlands and in Birmingham found that by intercepting the wireless signal just twice, they could narrow down the possible combinations from billions to just $200,000. And after that, a computer can figure out the code in just half an hour and unlock your car. In a real-world application, a thief could just sit on a street and gather wireless signals as car owners enter and exit their vehicles. Then overnight, they could steal a whole bunch of cars. And it leaves Volkswagen, Chevy, Audi, Fiat, Honda, Volvo, Porsche, Cadillac and a couple of other brands very vulnerable to thieves. Thanks to these always-on key fobs, the second way criminals can hack into your car is through these key fobs, which present a serious weakness in your car's security. Because as long as your keys are in range, anyone can open the car and the system thinks it's you. That's why newer car models won't unlock until the key fob is within a foot of the car. But for less than 100 bucks. Criminals can get an amplifier that detects key fob signals from up to 300 feet away and then transmits them to your car. In other words, your keys could be in your house and uh, criminals could just walk up to your car and open it. That's not just a theory. This is happening right now. So the the best steps to stop car thieves are quite simple. You can buy one of those signal-blocking pouches that can hold your keys, like the uh, hacker-blocking credit card pouch that is advertised on television every five minutes. And if you don't want to spend any money, and they're only about 19 bucks or something, if you don't want to spend any money, you can stick your key fob in the refrigerator or in the freezer. The metal will block your key's fob signal. And if you're not that keen on freezing your key fob, you can do the same thing with your microwave oven. Just put it in the oven, but make sure you don't turn it on because that could be a bit of a disaster. So stick your key fob in the microwave and criminals won't be able to pick up its signal. So since your key fob signal is blocked by any sort of metal, you can also wrap your keys in aluminium foil. Aluminum foil. You can also make a foil line box to put your keys in if you feel like being handy. You should also be aware that this kind of uh, signal stealing isn't a problem just for um, car key fobs. Passports and other ID cards contain radio frequency identification chips, as you know, and that enables criminals to use a high-powered RFID reader to steal your information from your disk straight out of your passport wallet or out of your pocket or even out of your briefcase. You don't need to use aluminium foil. Again, there are some very cool and stylish RFID blocking wallets, purses and passport cases. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about these two incredible plays with brilliant Australian actors that uh, on at the Matrix Theatre in Melrose in Los Angeles. 
There are only eight more opportunities to catch the two incredible plays. Speaking in Tongues and Reuben Guthrie are both exceptional and show Aussie actors at their best. We all know all the great Aussie actors. And these are another team of fantastic Aussie actors. Do yourself a favour and get along for a sensational night out. So get online and get your tickets today. Today's guest is Russell Phelps. And Russell is a master copywriter and marketing maven with more than 600 completed projects for clients, both for Fortune 500 companies and many smaller businesses and even entrepreneurs. It doesn't take long for his clients to become raving fans and typically report 40 to 300% increases in their results using his ad copy and powerful marketing strategies. And I'll be back with Russell immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and people involved in disciplines of business that can help us all be much more effective. You know, people who think outside the box and have something to share with other entrepreneurs can help us all because every business, no matter what it is, experiences the same challenges. It might be a, you know, one person might be in a dry cleaner and one person might be developing an app, but you'll still have the same basic business issues as you go, as you develop your business. So, we need to listen to people that have gone before us and people who have been through these mistake cycles, take notice of them so we make sure that we don't fall for the same mistakes. And uh, things are changing very quickly in this fast-paced technology era. So the more information we can get from others, the more tips we can get from others, the better. So in these interviews, what I do, I try to find out what it is that makes these people successful, what it is that we can, that they do that we can learn from, and try to work out just what makes them tick. So I want to 
learn how we can overcome all of these challenges that confront startup businesses. Now, too few people realise the importance of the right words in communication. Now, this could be, um, in my case as a marketer and in my guest's case as a marketer, it could be in communicating the message about what your product's about or it can be eliciting a sale or it can be a lot of things. But in our general life, just talking to our staff, talking to our spouses, talking to people. It's very important what words we use, how we use them, and how we phrase things. And uh, the difference between a staff member understanding precisely what you mean and uh, perhaps missing the point and, and not achieving what you want to achieve is often just the way you express yourself. So I remember there's a really famous story about a renowned um, copywriter from Saatchi's in London and I won't tell you the whole story but he changed one line in a pitch and he blew the response through the roof just changing one sorry didn't change one line he changed one word in a pitch and it changed the emotional impact um, on the on the reader and he um, blew the response through the roof so that's what a great copywriter does Russell Phelps is one of those great copywriters. He's a master copywriter. He's a marketing maven. He's um, got more than 600 completed projects from clients ranging from Fortune 500s to many smaller businesses and entrepreneurs. And his work includes online, offline. So Russell can deliver any message in any media. So he can tackle mass media for uh, a wide a product that appeals to a wide um, target market or he can write specifically for a niche market. He's created content and sales copy for websites, landing pages, email campaigns, publicity campaigns, advertising campaigns, um, traffic generation campaigns for websites and on and on. And his slogan's kind of cute actually. It's... Um, I write the words that make the whole world buy, quoting that old Barry Manilow song. Um, his clients become raving fans and typically report 40 to 300% increases in their results using his killer ad copy and powerful marketing strategies. You know, it's no use going out there and spending a fortune on advertising or spending a fortune on driving people to your website if once you get them there, you can't achieve what you want to achieve. Either get them on a mailing list or sell them something. Um, you know, I talk to people who run newspaper ads all the time and the first thing they say is, well, newspaper advertising just does not work. Now, it's not the newspaper advertising that doesn't work. It's the ad copy that doesn't work. So, um, hi, Russell. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hello, Bob Pritchard. I'm glad to be with you, and hello to all your listeners. Thank you. Now, there are certain steps that we need to follow to get um, killer ad copy. So everybody that's listening to this, go and get yourself a pen and something to write on, and we'll give you a couple of seconds, and then start taking notes, because these might be the best tips you ever get in your life, because... 97% of small businesses fail or new businesses fail. Now, why do they fail? 
usually not because the product's no good. Usually the product is good, it's the way it's communicated that lets the side down. So, Russell, what are the seven steps to killer ad copy? Well, these are the steps that I use in many cases to write a piece of advertising. Sure. Um, the first thing that, that I do that most people do not do is you got to do your homework. Right. You got to know who your customer is. You got to know them as well as they know themselves. If, if at all possible, you have to get real close to that. So uh, as an example, what I do, for example, when I'm writing an ad is I'll look at I always tell a client, look, send me too much information instead of not enough. I need to know I need to know everything about your business and your customers and I need to know it now. Right. That's that's just how I do. Now, if you're inside the business and you're writing um, copy for yourselves, then you need to maybe dig a little bit deeper. You need to ask yourself questions. I have um, in um, when I deal with a client, I have a 30 question questionnaire. It used to be over 100 questions and then it went down to 10 questions. And now I found the perfect 30 questions to ask yourself in order to get the information that you need to do your homework. Right. The other thing you need to do your homework on is all your competitors. Where are they advertising? What offers are they making? What's their price? What media are they using to advertise in that perhaps you're not that you might want to test? Now, especially if you're monitoring your your clients, your competitors, pardon me, if you're monitoring your competitors and you see them advertising repeatedly in the same media and the same markets, it's probably because the advertising is working. Yep. So that's a clue to you that that might be a good place for you to advertise. And at that point, you're going to have to position yourself against them with a better ad, a more grabby headline, a better offer, not necessarily a lower price because you can't no, simply sell on price. You got to make the best offer that you can and also the service that goes goes with the sale and so on so that would be step number one about doing your homework um, I find one of the problems with most entrepreneurs is that they they think to themselves we have a killer project so as long as we put it out there they will beat a path to my door and in reality nothing can be further from the from the truth can it well, that reminds me of a poem that I heard once, and he said, he who whispers down a well about the things he has to sell will not make the shining dollars like him who climbs a tree and hollers. <laughs> and <laughs> that been, is absolutely true. Now, a lot of times people, I've noticed this too, and many times a company will be a little bit reticent about blowing their own horn long and loud. Yeah. And one reason for that is psychological is that they're around it every day. Yeah. They're, they're around their products, but they don't know that this customer might not know them from anybody. So if you can't grab their attention, think about if you were hearing it for the very first time. Yeah. You know, it's like the very first time for anything. It's always the, the most and um, most memorable. Mm. You have to remember these people might not know you from nothing, so you have to scream at least twice as loud as you think you need to do. And of course, I'm speaking figuratively because if it's in print, yeah. you just need to capture their attention. Sure. I think people. Um, 
have 50,000 thoughts a day go through a person's mind. They're probably exposed to hundreds of different advertising messages. What are you going to do, either through a glaring headline, the use of color or graphics, um, the volume, the music behind it, if it's uh, something that uh, has a sound aspect to it instead of just print or if it has a visual aspect? What can you do to grab someone's attention? And if you can keep them for the first five seconds, then you have enough time to develop their interest build up their desire and then provide a strong call to action so that they order and buy right away or give you their name uh, so you can send them more information, sign up for your easing, uh, whatever it is that you're again trying to get them to do to respond. Yeah, of course the other interesting thing is of the 50,000 thoughts that you have today, 99.9% of them are exactly the same thoughts you had yesterday. So if you can come up with a breakthrough message, you're much more likely to be noticed. You're right about that. You have to you have to say something different, or you have to say the same thing in a different way, and you have to say it from a different perspective, and catch them in a time where they might be receptive, or at least open their mind. If you can open their mind, you can open their wallet. Yeah. So the the, the first point is do your homework. Second point. Second point is you have to make an offer they can't refuse. So in, in order to do this, the offer has to do with, it's a statement of what you're offering to the buyer in exchange for what you want from them, which in yeah. most cases is their, is their money, the sale. So um, it has a number of components to it. Uh, it has to do with the price, the terms, the delivery, your guarantee, all those things go into the offer. Yep. So uh, what I uh, tell people to do, uh, for example, in my ebook, Seven Steps to Killer Ad Copy, in that section that says, ask yourself, what's the biggest promise that you can make to your customer that you know you can fulfill? Yep. And what's the most that you can offer for the price you're asking without hurting yourself? Right. A lot of people are either too generous or too stingy, and it takes a number of, uh, of tests sometimes, and it takes a while to discover what I call the sweet spot, yep. where your, your offer and then your series of offers uh, is orchestrated in just the right way. Now, you remember, um, sometimes people will give a free trial or a free something because they've learned through testing that a certain number of those people will become paid buyers, sure. which and the profit from that will more than pay for what they gave away for free in order to get someone to try them. Yep. That's what's called reversing the risk. You yep. put the risk on yourself instead of on the customer because every time a customer does business with a new company, they're taking a risk. Yep. Are, they gonna, are they going to get what they ordered? Is it going to be as it was advertised? Are they going to be happy with it over the long term? Are all the promises the company made going to, going to bear out in real life? They're taking a risk every time they take out their credit card or, or pay for what you're, you're offering them. So the, most, the more that you can do in your offer to reverse the risk and put it on yourself with either a strong guarantee, a free sample, a lost leader, a free consultation, a big promise, Yep. That's going to increase your response rate. Absolutely. So, so the offer basically co consists of your product or service, any bonuses or extras that go with it, the price, the terms of, of payment, and the guarantee that goes with it. Too many people that I come across um, think that price is the be-all and end-all, and I'm always saying to them that um, price... I'm not saying you can ask ridiculous amounts for um, uh, for your product, but as long as your 
competitive and studies that were done by PricewaterhouseCoopers show that somebody who's a uh, customer service leader can charge up to 13% more for their product and still get the sale than somebody who doesn't provide great service. So, um, and in, in a lot of cases, 13% in retail can double your profit. Exactly right. The, the key thing that I've learned about price is that price is a function of value. Absolutely. It, it's a function of the perceived value. If someone thinks your widget is worth $10,000, that's what you should be selling it for. Absolutely. If, they, if they think it's worth a dollar and a half, that's what you should be selling it for. And if you can't sell it at that price and get a profit, you should pick another business or pick another product. Yep. Couldn't yeah. agree more. So a, a lot of people uh, think that price is a function of what it costs them. Yep. In other words, here's our product cost. Let's double that, and that's our price. Yeah. And and they're uh, they're they're watching money flush down the toilet every time they do that. And a lot of people, um, I was, I started working. I did some work for um, a big grocery chain in America, and I, donkeys years ago, a lot of years ago now. And when I looked at their how they price their products something that they buy for a dollar may be costing them in real terms a dollar forty because they take into account their shelf space the wages for the um, the um, shelf loaders they take into account all those things that are actually sort of hidden costs and it's amazing what a product can cost and uh, I talk to people who say well I bought it for a dollar and I sold it for a dollar twenty so I made twenty percent Wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right about that. So that's number two, make them an offer they can't refuse. Number three? Well, number three, when you start to write, you need to sell the benefits. A lot of people try to sell the product features. In yeah. other words, the size, the shape, the color, but they don't sell the benefit that the buyer is going to enjoy. So I say sell the benefits and feature the features. Yeah, nobody the, ever bought a feature, did they? Nope, they buy what it's going to do for them. Yep. For example, people want to make money, save money. They want to feel happier. They want to feel more powerful, healthier, more joyful. They want to feel sexier. They want to be smarter, more energetic, more attractive. They want to be safer and more secure. They want to be more likable. Uh, all those things are benefits that they want to receive, and you need to tell them all the benefits they will enjoy as a result. Are they going to save time or money? Are they all those benefits I mentioned? You need to find a way to weave the promise of those benefits and make sure them picture with pleasure in their mind, enjoying those benefits after they've used the product. Yep, that's that's a psychological thing that a lot of people don't get, but it's it's projecting them mentally and psychologically into the future after they have experience the benefits of your product and so psychologically they've projected themselves into the future and they are they've already become your customer in their mind yep. if you can get them to do that then you can sell them your home and host um, yep. okay so number three sell benefits number four number four is you need to get their attention once you uh in the first part of the ad either with a headline some kind of uh, a graphic, some kind of a sound element, if it's if it's uh, uh, audio or visual, 
and you need to communicate your strongest benefit in the headline. Now, what I found is that sometimes 80% of the success of any ad is dependent on the headline. No matter what, if the headline doesn't hit them between the eyes and arouse enough interest to keep them reading, you will not sell them. It's as simple as that. Now, I've shown uh, in tests that sometimes one headline, you talked about the advertiser beforehand who only changed one word and beat the pants off the previous ad. Yep. Well, I found that sometimes one headline will outpull another headline as much as 20 times in the number of orders that you get. Yeah, absolutely. It's a- and I'm continually amazed and surprised at that. That's why even, even though I have an, uh, sometimes a very good idea of what kind of headline will work once I'm in the middle of the ad, I don't take anything for granted because the customers, when the actual response re- returns come in, will either surprise you or disappoint you continuously. So that's where you have to be somewhat scientific. And I recommend testing a number of different headlines and openings in order to see what's going to get the most response. Because yep. the, the more people that you grab attention, the more people you then have next to be able to develop their interest and their desire so that you can again get the sale. Yeah, I've always found that one of the keys to success in this area is test, 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 and when you've tested it, test it again. Yeah. In fact, I found that a lot of companies will do tests right up front. And a lot of times when I do an ad campaign, I'll provide two or three different testable variations to see what gets the most. And then where a lot and a number of companies will do that. But where they fall down after that is they think they've got a winner and they just run with it down the field. But hey, what if you went back and kept that as your control piece? In other words, your best performing piece at this point and then continually keep on testing. Because think about this. If you can increase your response rate by even a fraction of a percent, how many more thousands of dollars is that going to put in your pocket at the end of the year? Absolutely. And the other, the other place where headlines are critical uh, is um, with emails. You know, I get, I get a couple hundred emails a day and I, I, I flick through and if the headline doesn't grab me, I'm gone. Are you referring to the subject line the in this subject case? subject line, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've done the same thing with uh, A-B split tests with emails, and a lot of times one subject line will outpull another one 10, 15 times, and you can track that by by clip, by uh, tracking your open rates. Yeah, sure. And all, then also using a, um, a testing service like Bitly or TinyURL to see which of these, uh, which of the emails gets more orders. Yeah, it's, um, it's always, it's always, difficult to um, create email subject lines I reckon very difficult it, it, sometimes I spend as much time on that as I do on the body yeah of, of the email yeah so do I it's pain in the ass um, okay so for those for, for those listeners one is do your homework the second one is make them an offer they can't refuse the third is sell benefits, don't sell features. Features never sold anybody anything. Four, get their attention with the headline and the graphic. Um, often, up to 90% of people only read the headline, and if the headline doesn't grab them, they're gone. So we're up to number five. What's number five, Russell? Uh, I mentioned it a couple times earlier, but you have to develop their interest. Yeah. And I call that weaving the web. Once you caught the spider, once the spiders caught something in the web, then they weave the web around them to capture them. 
Okay. So at that point, so that's where I actually the in in a piece of advertising where the copy begins to develop itself. Past the headline, you might have a subheadline, you might have an opening or first paragraph. Then you may have um, what I call a, a benefit feature testimonial cycle, where you state the benefit. You tell make or save money or save time, the benefits I mentioned earlier. Then you tell the feature that delivers that benefit. Then you include a buyer testimonial that proves that they enjoy that benefit. Like, right. for example, the, for, here's an example of a benefit feature testimonial. This widget will double or triple your assembly line speed. That's the benefit. Right. Because, because of the state-of-the-art proprietary chip developed by our engineers. That's the feature. Right. In fact, Bob Adams of TechHound Systems says our production capacity is up by 217% since we installed your widgets in our plant. And my controller tells me that it increased our bottom line profits last quarter by 32%. That's a testimonial. So if you combine that and continue to weave that, then you can use bullets. You can restate your offer, giving reasons why, credibility, proof, and scarcity. And then that's when it gets down to your call to action where you ask for the order. Sure. So how effective is telling a story in advertising? Storytelling is extremely effective if it's the kind of story that I just told where someone else went through a process where they were in your shoes, they had a problem like yours, they found this solution, they used it, they were successful, they had a victory, and they're happy with it. The kind of stories from a buyer that tells a a satisfying experience they had purchasing from your company where you can relate to. Those are the best stories. Yeah, I agree. Um, Number six. Number six, I mentioned a little bit, when that's you have to develop their desire. You have to, as you develop, once you got their attention, you develop their interest, you have to make them want it. The, every decision we make um, is made emotionally, initially. doesn't matter what it is, if you, you know, what sort of a casket to bury your grandmother in. The, um, the decision's initially an emotional decision and then people go ahead and, and um, um, justify it pragmatically. So how much of your cell... You know, I've done projects for people like Toyota where you get a brochure and then you emotionalize it. That doesn't mean filling it up with all sorts of sloppy stuff, but you make it more personal, more emotional, sell the emotional benefits of of the vehicle and your um, results go through the roof. I agree. I agree. People will buy on emotion. They'll justify it by logic. It's a little slightly different if they're buying for their business. For example, if you're a purchasing company and you're spending your boss's money because you'll have to justify it to him. So they will look for a little bit more factual um, detail behind it. But at the same time, everyone has an emotional component. And if you can touch that hot button uh, and as many hot buttons as you can, then you're your chances of making the sale are that much greater. How early um, in the pitch should you be um, um, building this emotional connection? Right from the right from the get go. Right from the right headline. F- right from the get go. 
And it's not just emotion or logic. What I talk about more is capturing their imagination. Right. Imagination is the key. And imagination has the component of sight, sound, smell, taste, feel. And like I said earlier, if you can make them picture with pleasure, enjoying the benefits after they have become your customer, then in your mind, you've already sold them. They've sold themselves in their imagination and they're already imagining themselves being a happy customer. Right. So at that point, it's just a matter of getting them to actually take the action to have that manifest itself in their in their real experience. So imagination is the key and logic and emotion are two key components to imagination. The other components are all five senses. Okay. Number 7. Number 7 is the call to action. Yeah, call, click Get out your credit card, click to order now, call this 800 number now, make an appointment with our salesman, what it actually takes to shake hands on the deal and exchange their money for what you're selling. It is amazing. If you if you pick up today's um, New York Times or wherever you are and you go through the advertisements that are there, it is amazing how few people have any call to action whatsoever. Yeah, I, I find it amazing. I, I hear a I hear a huge toilet flushing sound when I say that. Some advertise some advertising agency has given him a three martini lunch and sold him on buying space. Yeah. It's 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 very sad. I'm not a great um supporter of newspaper advertising, so I think anybody who can convince their client to buy um, newspaper advertising is probably pretty creative in the first place so it's a pity not to follow it through <laughs> yeah there's a, it reminds me of another old saying where there's an advertising manager sitting around and saying I know I'm wasting half of my advertising budget I just don't know which half yeah I think it's, it's probably more like 90% these days yeah um, but I, and I would submit it's the 90% that you're not tracking if yeah. you don't have if you don't have a way to track which of your advertising pieces are producing which sales, then you probably are wasting your money. Yeah. And, 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 and even if you're not wasting your money, you'll never know it because you don't have proof. That's true. Now, sure, so does the same approach um, work in all um, communication vehicles? I mean, today we have, we've got our... Um, digital, all our digital media, we've got our social media, we've got newspapers, radio, advertising, blog, we've got all sorts of different um, vehicles to communicate our sales message. Do we use the same message for all of them? I think the same principles apply. The message needs to be tailored toward the medium itself and what it is you're trying to get them to do. Uh, for example, if you're trying to just generate a lead so that you can then follow up with your full sales material, that's one thing. If you're making a, a direct sale off of a, a website or a landing page, that's another thing. But I think the same psychology applies. In fact, when, when, uh, when Twitter first came out, you have 140 characters to get them to do whatever you want them to do. I said, well, that's just the same thing we used to do pre-internet days with classified ads. Yeah, exactly. You had a few words to, in order to get them to take action to get more information. It's the same thing you're doing on Twitter. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. All right. So they're the, they're the things people should do. And just quickly running through them. Do your homework. Make them an offer they can't refuse. Sell benefits, not features. Get their attention. Develop their interest. Um, and 
call to action. Um, all right, so what are, what are the biggest mistakes that people make in their advertising? Uh, I think the biggest mistake is they don't follow this process. Right. And, uh, and another thing I would say is that people, um, their messages are not customer-focused. Right. For example, a, a company, uh, if you look at their literature where they talk about, in fact, I would say to your listeners, look at your all of your marketing materials. How much of it do you spend talking about yourself? your company, how long you've been in business, how many employees you have, what a beautiful location you have, how clean your restrooms are, um, about the features of your products. Instead of focusing on the customer and their needs and the benefits that you can provide to them to satisfy those needs. Absolutely true. I would say another mistake is that their messages are not clear. Yep. In other words... They're not specifically taking the reader by the hand and leading them all the way through the process we just mentioned, all the way through the call to action. Another thing I would say is that they're not compelling. Yes. They're just saying, hello, how are you? We're fine. Here we are. Instead of, uh, you know, like I said, screaming, climb a tree and scream. Uh, figuratively speaking, grab them by the throat, yep. shake them, shake them out of the trance that most people walk around in all day, and say, "Hey, listen, what I have to say is very important. Listen to me." The the ones I love are the the brochures that have a photograph of their office on which they take on a Sunday so they don't disrupt anybody with an absolutely <laughs> empty car park. Well, the parking lot hasn't got a car in it. And it's, jeez, I'd never go there. No other bastard goes there, so why should I? Okay, we're, we're running out of time. I know you've got a free ebook, Seven Steps to Killer Ad Copy, because I now have it. So, how can our listeners get a free copy of the ebook? Really simple. While you have your notebook and your and your pencil handy, write down this email address. It's a special email address I made up for this offer, and it's the following. Poetryman123 at gmail. That's P O E T R Y M A N 123 at gmail. Simply send me an email to that address and in the subject line say send seven steps okay. and I'll send it right back to you. Great. Russell Phelps, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, so that they can email you if they want got any questions they can just e- email you again at poetryman123 they can email, email me any questions they have to follow up at that same email address or if people like to talk on Skype my Skype name is russman108 r-u-s-s-m-a-n 108 and I will respond to your invitation to connect on Skype Terrific. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with our email segment after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on the Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. This week we're broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. Last week we spoke about how technology could undermine a fundamental principle of banking and completely transform the banking landscape. We discussed likely deep cuts to branch numbers and huge layoffs of banking staff, more automation, more bank failures and power shifting to the consumers, not before long, I would add. All the changes are being brought brought about by the uh, rise of fintech. These changes have been driven not by the established financial players, but by startups including big players now like uh, Lending Club and Funding Circle that match savers and borrowers directly, cutting out the banks who forever have been sitting in the middle and ripping off everybody. And this isn't taking into account the potential wrecking ball that blockchain could inflict on the legacy financial community. There are currently lots of startups with lots of brains and lots of money working on various blockchain alternatives for the financial industry. So watch out for big changes. Over 150 million people use Snapchat every day, compared to less than 140 million that use Twitter. It's taken Twitter 10 years to rack up their numbers, but Snapchat's racked up better numbers in just four years. Now, Snapchat daily active users have increased more than 50% since last December, and the surge in Snapchat Snapchat user numbers uh, coincides with the rollout of several new Snapchat features, including face swap, the dog ears filter, and a range of colourful stickers that can be placed onto photos. You know, it's interesting that Twitter was once the biggest social network after Facebook, but platforms such as WhatsApp, Instagram and Messenger have overtaken it. So Snapchat is the new big guy on the block. I find it hard to say Snapchat for some reason. Big box retailers are getting absolutely annihilated by Amazon, pretty much on all fronts. And one big reason for Amazon's rapid growth has to do with its dominance in mobile. Comscore says that 80% of online shoppers are visiting retail sites via mobile and uh, Amazon owns that area. So as as consumers move quickly into mobile shopping, Amazon adapted and made sure its mobile shopping experience was excellent, both attracting and retaining customers. And, uh, you know, as we know, their customer service is just unbelievable. In fact, Amazon blows away all of its competitors in time spent on mobile websites by a huge margin. Mobile visitors spend an average of 103 minutes on Amazon 
compared to 20 minutes on target and 14 minutes on Walmart. And Amazon's mobile services are also sticky, causing customers to return six times a month compared with two and a half times for Walmart and twice for Target. Other retailers like Macy's and Nordstrom's and even smaller e-commerce sites like Etsy, they all hover around two, maybe three times that um, their customers go back. So Amazon not only leads the group in mobile adoption and usage, but the gulf between time spent on Amazon and virtually all other platforms is expanding rapidly, suggesting that Amazon will continue to increase its K-market, its market dominance. Now, Kalanak and his team at Uber don't seem to miss a trick. First we had Uber, then Uber Pool, Uber Eats, Uber Rush, Uber Helicopters, and now Uber's going to pick up cyclists with Uber Bike in Amsterdam, which is a city of 18 million bikes and only 17 million people. So the service announced last week allows cyclists to open up their Uber app and request an Uber with a bike rack. And when the Uber X arrives, the bike is mounted onto the back of the car and the customers charge the same as regular Uber X plus an extra four euros for the bike. Uber envisages that cyclists will use the service if it starts raining or they get tired to get them to their destination. Uber raised an extraordinary $3.5 billion from Saudi Arabia a couple of weeks ago. So with the addition of cyclists, they don't seem to be leaving any stone unturned. And if the initiative works in Amsterdam, then it could be rolled out in other cities with large numbers of cyclists. While on the subject of Uber, Uber and Lyft have both been under threat around the world and they're slowly winning the battle with cab companies who've had it coming for a very long time. Well, Uber and Lyft have both left Austin, Texas. The ride-hailing companies left town after voters upheld strict regulations on the companies and their drivers. But what's happened in the aftermath that's very interesting, Request a Ride is the Facebook group that's grown rapidly in the weeks following Uber and Lyft's departures. The group's got more than 33,000 members who use the group to find rides to and from their destinations. Zipcar and the new apps, Get Me, Fair, Fasten, Wings, Z Trip, Ride Austin and InstaRide have all launched or are set to launch in Austin soon. So while Uber and Lyft may have left town, residents of Austin are certainly not stuck without a ride. Thanks for listening to me today. In the meanwhile, between now and next week, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope, if you're not living right on the edge, if you're not taking the world and kicking the hell out of it, not only are you wasting your own time, but you're taking up too much space. Let somebody who really wants to succeed get past. You know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. I look forward to your company again next week when I'll be again broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.